This is women for women now. You are counted out. Welcome to the weekly podcast. Today we're in the weekly office and I'm with Rach. Oh, Rachel, back. I know. Where Rachel. is your suntan from the Gambia? Ah, there was no suntan. you spent all the time on the beach hanging around. And <laughs> <laughs> no, none of that, none of that. Uh, no suntan because the cream was well applied. <laughs> and um, no beach because we didn't have time to go to the beach. The, the event was so yeah. packed full of farm trips. It was just too hectic to even get to the beach now last time we spoke we were about to have the electric cut off at Wiggly Wigglers and I've just heard you this morning bemoaning the fact that the electric is going to be cut off on the 8th of October for hedge trimming and I can't believe that you're moaning because I understand that in the Gambia electricity is not that easy to come by that is absolutely true unfortunately they are going to switch the electric off on us again on the 8th of october customer so if you ring and don't get a reply it'll be because of that thank you eon (laughs) yeah thank you eon uh but anyway electric in the gambia was a little bit hit and miss Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah you could get electric at some times of the day and at other times you just didn't so having had a busy day out trekking around seeing the farmers in the red dust of the heat of the day and it's all sticking now to your sticky suntan lotion you come back ah no electric so no hot okay. water so no water at all no no, no water no water no so the little no bit of water that you had in your water bottle you then just had to tip it over your toes because they were so full of sand and dust you just had to get it out and so there was no electric and the electric didn't come on until mostly about sort of two three o'clock in the morning there was various reasons floating around of why this was some say they were just saving the electric supply for the tourist season you know some say that they they got a major problem with it and so they were trying to deal with it but there was all sorts of reasons but the thing was you didn't have none and that was that well I'll be On this week's show, we've got Miss Nicole coming in to congratulate all the brides and grooms that we've sent flowers to. Yippee, she'll be here in a minute. We've also got the first of a series of interviews from Rach, who went to the Gambia for eight days and nights and found out all about the farmers and how they're managing their crops, how they're managing their small suppliers and their distribution. I think you went selling vegetables at some traffic lights, didn't you, Rach? Well, they've got an area which they call the traffic lights, and it is literally at a set of traffic lights (laughs) where there are market stalls where you just pull up and buy your veg from. It was great. But first, I was lucky enough to be invited to Herefordshire Council's review of their economic development, um, which was chaired by Councillor Blackshaw and attended by Natalia Silva, who is the head of the economic development in Hereford. And my idea was that during the review, we should make sure that we ate and drank well. So we had lovely 
Martin Redder, who's Cassie's husband's pork pies from just down the road. They were delicious. And better than that, we had Tom Oliver's cider. And Tom Oliver's cider is absolutely yummy. I had it on Sunday, just gone, with my homegrown pork. Sorry, piggies. My homegrown spuds, my homegrown beans, my homegrown chard, my homegrown Bramley applesauce and Tom Oliver's cider. So here I am meeting up with Tom and you will find out from this interview how to make your own cider. Whether it'll be as nice as his, I'm not sure. Tom, I've just tasted your perry and I've just tasted your cider and I've got to say it's absolutely delicious. Heather, that's very, very, very kind of you. Uh, You're tasting a classic perry and you're tasting uh, the Shazam cider. I think they're both very good, easy drinking, Mm. served chilled from the fridge. Sit back and enjoy it. Where are you making it? At Oak Butchard, halfway between Hereford and Bromiart. Now that is traditional cider country. It, cert- it certainly is. And, uh, yeah, it, it feels right. Does it? Yeah, it really does. How do you make cider? And can people make cider at home? Dead easy. Is it? Dead easy. And if anyone's interested, there's a great new book out by James Russell called The Naked Guide to Cider. <gasps> I read that uh, on uh, your uh, Twitter. Uh, all right, well, now, yeah. it, and it doesn't involve getting naked com- unless you really want. But what it does do is it makes it very clear it's very easy to make cider. And in essence, all you need to make cider is you need apples, you need the ability to crush them, and that can be with a wooden mallet in a bucket. You need to extract the juice, which could be through a piece of curtain, and then you need to put it in a container, a glass jar or something with a breather on the top to let it ferment. Like a cork? or Yeah, you cork with a hole in it, and then put a little glass pipe or uh, something from Bic Barrow. Take the, uh, uh, take the ink fire, out of the yeah. Bic Barrow and just put the Bic Barrow in just to let the air exchange out. And as, the, as the fermentation starts, the CO2 will then leave. It's very easy. You'll end up with something that may be delicious to drink. It may be a little too dry if you're only used to the sweetened cider. How long does it take, then? If you put it by a source of heat or anything, you can sort of be fermented in four to eight weeks. Right. Me, I like long, slow fermentations. and uh, no, that takes about uh, four to eight months, I hope. Really? So the slower the fermentation, the better the end drink. Now, are you sharing all these lovely tips with me? Because you know I'm going to go home and make the most awful scrumpy and have the tummy ache for a week <laughs> no, and then come to you and buy some more delicious, clear, gorgeous no, cider. <laughs> no, what ultimately I'm hoping, because I'm a cider and perry drinker myself, yes. I hope you're going to go home and make the most wonderful cider and perry and come and give me a bottle and say, here, this is what I made. And I can go, oh, that is brilliant. And then what I'll say to you is, go and do it again. <laughs> is that the issue? Is it about it, it, trying you, to be consistent? Yeah, yeah. You, you, most people can probably make a really good cider or perry once, once or twice. It's, it's consistency year after year with very varying fruit crops. But if you're a, a cider maker from 100% juice like I am, my raw material is the fruit. And if we have a poor summer with lack of sun, my alcohol levels will be low. The characteristics of the finished ciders and perries are less interesting, I believe, on the years when the sun doesn't shine. Like everything, with the sun on your back, everyone feels better. Absolutely right. And it makes a big difference. So when you're looking at the season's fruit, mm-hmm. you know, is this you out there of a summer's day going, 
Oh, I'm not sure this year. Are you looking for the soil? Are you looking for drainage? You, what, what, what's the, the guide to good fruit? Time. Sometimes when you walk into an old an old orchard, I'll say old, but for some for good reasons. But you can sometimes go, irrespective of what varieties are in there, you sort of go. Tell you what, I would love to have the fruit from here because I think this is just what I'm looking for. Now, what I'm looking for is trees that have been established for a long time that are not being sprayed, on not getting fertilised, probably grazed by sheep or cattle. So all they're getting is the nitrogen from the dung. And I'm looking for something that's got its own nice ecosystem, so big high hedges probably. Plenty um, of bees. Plenty of bees, nice uh, mixture of some decaying wood, some new trees where old trees are gone. Uh, native hedgerow? N- native hedgerow is, is good. I, I don't, I'm not averse to uh, some of these fast-growing tall trees. If wind protection becomes an issue then it's better to protect your orchard than leave it exposed. But traditional, you know, everything traditional and mixed is always the best. And and ultimately, then, the, the fruit that will come off those trees from September through to December, whenever whenever it's mature, that will probably give you a head start in terms of the raw material for your cider and perry. That's my, that's my feeling. So, you find the fruit for this wonderful concoction. Mm. You then pick it, or do you let it fall to the floor? What's the Uh, rule? For for cider and perry, you're quite all right to let it fall to the floor. And if you're talking about uh, traditional peri-pear trees... They frequently, unless you are a, a fantastic climber and very good with ropes and ladders, they're so high and the fruit's so inaccessible that you need it to drop to the floor. It doesn't matter about bruising. No. It doesn't matter about bruising. No, in essence it doesn't. Especially if it's falling on a nice thick grass ward because, of course, you won't have had your stock in the orchard for eight weeks before you start harvesting the fruit. No. Uh, no, no one does no. that. no. That's what Europe tells us anyway. Okay. And then you put a rat, don't you, in the... Yeah. Well, <laughs> you, you see, this is, this, is, this is assuming that your rat and mouse, um, uh, whatever it is, your due diligence or whatever it is you do for your rat and mouse, hasn't worked. And, my God, you find a rat lying around. You can drop it in your cider. All it's doing, and, and, and I know I've drunk cider that's had rat in it, um, all it's doing is giving nutrient for the yeast so the yeast can f- carry on fermenting the sugars in the uh, cider and perry. So it could, it could be a rat. Now, if you, were feeling, <laughs> if you were feeling very opulent, you could put a leg of lamb in. Ah, if it makes you feel better and you think that the cider is going to feel better with a leg of lamb rather than the rat, put a leg of lamb in. But I tell you, the cider won't know any difference. And you won't find anything in the bottom either. So what It'll- do you do to get the... Um- well, I, I've got to be honest, Acting. Emma. This is where this is now. I, I mean, I'm happy to talk to you about most things I do, but I secret? think I think this is you're 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 getting right down to the nitty gritty now. Uh, I'm very lucky. My my house yeast, my wild yeast on all the equipment and in the barns and in the buildings. It's a very happy, a very friendly yeast. Uh, in fact, there's many of them in a wild yeast fermentation. Uh, the French are the only people who've done any real work on this. You can get you can get somewhere in the region of 20, 
30, 35 different yeasts working on a fermentation. One type of yeast will start it off and then it will be killed off by 1 or 2% of alcohol. Then another one will come on. And uh, in the end, Saccharomyces cerevisiae is, is the standard yeast you can buy from shops. And that is the standard wild yeast that will ferment most of your sugars to, and turn it to alcohol. You're in the lap of the gods, but good fruit, good buildings, good vibes, good cider. Do you believe that you need to stir it 12 times one way and 12 times the other way and be a happy cider maker? This is Christmas puddings we're on now, isn't it? <laughs> I, don't think it's a, I'm not, I only know that one for the Christmas pudding, I thought. But uh, uh, no, I've never done that. So obviously, I've either been very, very lucky or I'm bucking the trend. You've got it right, I reckon. <laughs> um, when you see your product mm. coming out yeah. at the end of the day and you taste it, mm. what is it like if it's a corker? Is it like... <gasps> I it's, love things. It's it's it is it is similar to many love things. Is yeah. it? It's, it's it is very very satisfying. It, it's it's infinitely better than tasting something you've sweated buckets over <laughs> and it's rubbish. That that's very frustrating. Yeah, it's another love thing, I suppose. <laughs> yes. But but ultimately, you know, when you've got a, when you have got a good cider or perry, and it's one of your niche small volume products, and you go, I reckon I can give that to anybody, and they're going to go. And you, they'll know that it is something special. Th- those are those are great moments. I wish I wish I had found the formula to do that with everything I make. Unfortunately, you know, there are always going to be some that are exceptional. I think it's like wines and everything. A small amount of what you make will be exceptional. Everything must be of a certain standard, and, and everything else can vie in terms of it will all be of a good quality. It'll be just whether it's to people's tastes or not. So, is there a vintage year that I should look out for with the Oliver's cider and Perry? The vintage, the last vintage year, uh, I actually, it's 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 a real point. We've had rubbish fruit summers, as far as I'm concerned, for the last three years until this year. Ooh. Now the jury is out, <gasps> but this could be the best summer for in the last five years. Really? But, but I won't know until next May <gasps> time when when I start tasting what, what we started making this week, last week. We'll be so, back. Tom. Back for more. We'll be back yeah. to hear how it's turned yeah. out. And you, will you be you, truthful? Heather, you would be very well. I'm always <laughs> truthful. That's got me in a lot of trouble over the years, but I will always be truthful. Yeah. Well, I think your product is absolutely fantastic. And the Perry pears make delicious Perry. And I'm glad to hear this is not pear cider, is it? No, it's... This is Perry pears. You've nailed it. It is exactly what it says on the bottle. It is Perry made from Perry pears. And thank you for knowing the difference. Thank you. In a moment, Nicole is popping in to give us all the info on the weddings that we've sent flowers to. But first of all, thank you very much to everyone that... Um, gave us all the feedback on podcast 235 it's a nerve wracking thing to record a podcast about bovine TV but as Jinbat says on Twitter although she doesn't agree with us at all anti-cull does not mean anti-farmer she says thanks for making the effort to put your point of view however your bovine TV science is very inaccurate vital to make informed decisions And if you want to read about 
what Ginback thinks. If you put in www.bovinetb.co.uk forward slash article dot php question mark article underscore id equals 48 you'll find it sorry for that snappy title but you'll find it and her point is dr rosie woodruff knows best so have a look and see what she says and you know we'd love to hear back from you also thanks to warmwell who has put in a wonderful blog post about the podcast. If you put in www.warmwell.com, that would be where to find the opposing point of view to Jin Bat and Dr. Rosie Woodruff, or the, a different point of view, which is great to see that conversation going. And thanks to Tim Teague, who says the podcast was balanced, calm, and put across really well. So thanks all. And also, thanks to everyone who's wished us congratulations on five years of podcasting. They say an awful lot of common sense and just a little bit of silliness. Here is Miss Nicole, who is never silly, to give us the report on the weddings of the past couple of weeks. Miss Nicole, who is getting married with wiggly flowers? Well, they've actually got married, Hev. We're a step behind this time around. We've got three weeks' worth of weddings, well, two, really. On Saturday, the 18th of September, Jane and Michael got married. Ali and Ewan got married. Joe and Phil got married. Mr and Mrs. Yes. On Monday, the 20th of September, Catherine... Oh, Monday, How unusual. That was Catherine and Russell. They got married. Mm -hmm. And on Saturday, the 25th of September, Sarah and Darren, Jessamy and Ian... Liz and Simon, Lizzie and Brian, and Lucy and James got married. So huge wiggly congratulations to all of you. And I hope your flowers went down very well with all the guests. And lastly, we've got on Facebook a congratulations to David Wishingski, who's celebrating his civil partnership. We sent them flowers too. Yippee! Rach, here we go. Here's your first file from the Gambia. Okay, hope you all enjoy it. <laughs> and I've made it to the Gambia, and our first site is a beautiful garden done by 212, 212 ladies. Yeah. I'm joined by Bai, mm-hmm. and Bai, what is your role? Well, I am the media officer for Concern Universal Gambia, uh, but at the same time, I'm a native of this community. So my wife and uh, everybody are part of this uh, community garden. Brilliant. Now, we've come to this garden um, to see something specific, and it's the water irrigation system that's been developed here. Okay. So can you just tell us a little bit about the water situation, how it was, and the benefits that they've had from this system? Looking at the size of this garden, it's about more than 2.5 uh, hectares. It's a big land. Uh, the women themselves, they said uh, it is about 4.2 hectares. But we have 212 women working in this garden. In Gunjur, water is a problem. Even drinking water. It is one community where we don't have running water for drinking. And now, imagine 212 women working in 4.5 hectares of garden, lifting water from wells that are about 5 meters, 6, 7 meters deep to water their gardens. It's a tedious job. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very, very hectic for the women. Mm-hmm. However, the 112 women are working very, very hard on this garden to grow various varieties of vegetables, mm-hmm. including cucumber, uh, including uh, pepper, hot pepper, okra, 
varieties. You can see the varieties here. Excellent. Uh, but water is a problem. However, through collaboration, uh, the garden was, uh, the women are supported by Tarud, Trust Agency for Rural Development, which is a local NGO based in Gunjo. Okay. It's based in this community here. Through that collaboration between that organization and Concern Universal, the Truly Smile Project, they provided a, a water lifting pump. It's a local pump for the women. Mm-hmm. But then it's all on a trial basis. You know, yes. a trial which is not enough for, no. for the... Uh, you can see the pipes. Yep. There's only two reservoirs that we have in the garden. Okay. And a small pipe that runs about 10 mm-hmm. meters uh, across to... From one reservoir to another reservoir is about 10 meters. Yes, that's right. I must yeah. explain that the ladies have uh, got it all divided up into beautifully... like Almost like raised beds. And mm. the pipe is running through them to two separate wells. Yeah, you see these red beds. Yeah. Rest beds. Yeah. Uh, in the rainy season, yeah. we have too much rains here. Okay. And uh, if you have a sunken bed, that means the water will fill that bed. Okay. And you will not be able to plant your... Your plants will not be able to f- perform efficiently. Yeah. And they will be waterlogged. Yeah. And uh, they will not be able to perform. But now with these rest beds, even with these rest beds, you see, yeah. uh, if water flows, it carries the soil nutrients away. Okay. So women are still having some problems, even with the rest beds. Yes. But then um, what is more in- amazing here is... Yeah. All the 112 women mm-hmm. are working very hard to make this garden a successful garden. Uh, in, in, in the Gambia, in many rural communities in the Gambia, it is the women that are taking care of their families. Men are, you know, in this community we are used to polygamy. People yes, marry many wives. two, three, four <laughs> wives. Yeah, we don't you know, have that in the you, UK. Yeah, but yeah. you come across yeah. that one, it's very common. So, so People, by having uh, many wives, you uh, eventually have many mouths to feed, of course. Exactly. You? So if so, you have four persons per, per, per yes. woman, yeah. you multiply that by four women. Yeah. One person, you are talking about 16 children. Yeah. yeah. You want to provide them with uh, adequate housing. Quite. Adequate clothing. Yeah. Education. Mm-hmm. Health care feeding them it's not easy no 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 so uh, each woman since they are having their own children separately will strive to support their own children yes so the feeding is in the hands of uh, men yeah but even in some communities men are, men are having it very yeah. very tough to feed the 16 children yeah. including the four wives which makes it 20 yeah. and he himself to make it 21 <laughs> oh and sometimes we have this extended family relationship yeah. which is also not easy but so, essentially what's happening is they are growing produce to sell in the markets to the industry yeah would yeah, that be the are, outlet for it yes of course um, what is happening here is they grow vegetables yeah the market outlets are in Birkama Serakunda and also in the capital Banjul yeah so whatever they grow in this garden they sell it on those markets okay but sometimes these markets are also overloaded with lots of vegetables. Yeah. But another very interesting outlet is Jig Farm, which was set up by Concern Universal. Yeah, that's the, the Gig Farm, which is back at... Back at Bacau. Bacau, that's and correct. Yes, back, back at Bacau, where they have their marketing, both retail and selling outlet. Yeah. But they have their uh, demonstration sites also in Yundum, uh, which is at Yundum. Uh, we have visited the place yesterday night. Yes. And we were there. We have seen uh, a lot of trials and a lot of um, varieties of uh, vegetables that they are growing. So it's like these women, they will produce here and either sell it at Bacau, at Jig Farm, or sell it to uh, Brikama, which is a market outlet in Brikama, a big market, in Serakunda or in Banjo. Brilliant. This is absolutely brilliant because this provides uh, an extra income for them to school their children 
feed their children, clothe their children. And also I was just talking to one of the ladies who was running it who said that she's replicated this project elsewhere. This so, has started, yes, it has started in this community garden. Yeah. But they have this uh, vegetable garden also replicated the idea and whatever there is, the management is replicated in other gardens. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have Mbambanta, uh, they have Kabekel, yeah. and there is a third one, I have forgotten of the name, but there is a third one which uh, this technology has been, and the idea and uh, the management has been uh, replicated in. Bro. All in this same community, yeah. Gunjur. But water is their formidable problem. Yes. You can see that one. Yes, I can. Yeah, yeah I can see that it's, even it's, though it's, it's going a, to two wells, yes. they are still having to carry it to exactly. the uh, various raised beds around the field. Mm-hmm. Um, so even though they've got... A pumping this water, well, although it's yeah. a good technology, yeah. but pumping it out from the well into this reservoir, yeah. passing it to the other reservoir and the yeah. third reservoir, yeah. it's not an easy job. No. You know, it's like uh, exercising for women. Absolutely. Their arms and... So yeah. they get tired. Absolutely. And from here, they go back home. Yeah. They do the household chores. Yes. Washing of basins. Uh-huh. Washing of children. Sweeping the compound. Mm-hmm. Uh, cooking the meals. Yeah. It's the women. They were very happy and jolly when they met us. We had a lovely song greeting didn't we yeah, um, yeah uh, but really. i can imagine that their day out in this hot heat is quite demanding so. yes of course they said we are very happy to see you and we are very well mo- you are very much welcome to uh, okay. this garden okay well we're going to end it there because we're going to move on to the traffic lights selling later on aren't we yes Where, of course which, which basically is what it is it's you go to the traffic lights yeah. and you buy your vegetables is that right the traffic lights is uh, is an outlet Yes. Uh, for instance, if the women here, they produce their vegetables, they sell it to Jig Farm. Okay. Jig Farm too had retailers that yeah. are around the traffic light area. Okay. Uh, we call it traffic light because uh, these are uh, vendors, uh, vegetable vendors that are settled around where a major traffic light is in Bacau. <laughs> so this is why we call them traffic light vendors. Brilliant. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll end it there because we'll do a little bit more at the traffic light selling area when we get there. And so thank you very much. Thank you very much, Rachel. Bye-bye. Thanks, Rachel. Look forward to more of those reports coming to a podcast near you soon. Miss Nicole, this year we are doing a new Wiggly product, which is a grow-your-own edible hedge. I love the idea of foraging for stuff. In fact, I've got my slows ready for my slow gin as we speak. So grow-your-own edible hedge means it's a bit long-term because it takes a while for the berries to come and everything. But in the future, you'll have a wonderful resource for your wildlife and also the best of all is you'll have lots of potential products for yourself. So could you give me an idea, Miss Nicole, a few ideas for your Grow Your Own Edible Hedge? Blackberries, which as we all know are really good for jams, but are fantastic for flavouring vodka as well, which is a new treat. I made um, blackberry vodka last year, as well as slow gin. I don't think you need quite as much sugar as you do in the slow gin, probably half, but other than that, the same quantities of everything else and do exactly the same. So shake it every day. Yeah, absolutely. And then leave it two weeks. Yeah. Tip it up. Mm -hmm. And then at Christmas, there we are. Do you have to strain? You do need to strain it because obviously you've got the little pips, so you need to do it through something. I used muslin cloth, which was ideal. It kept all the bits out and it's delicious. Really, really syrupy and rich and beautiful. 
Blackthorn is great, obviously, for slow gin. Crab apple for jelly. There's dog rose for rose hip syrup. Lovely. Mark mm. Exton's done that. Very nice. Um, hazel for cob nuts. And wild pear is also good for jams, liqueurs and syrups. Thank you very much. It's goodbye from us on the weekly podcast until next week. If you get a chance to review the show, we would love you to. It's on iTunes. Just go to iTunes, press review and give us a review. We don't mind if it's good or bad. We just want to hear from you. It's goodbye from me, Heather, Wiggly Wigglers. Goodbye from me, Nicole. And goodbye from me, Rach. If you want to email us, it's heather at wigglywigglers.co.uk. We have to go now because Phil's dad has just come in and I'm thinking that he's getting ready for our harvest supper tonight, the farm's harvest supper where we celebrate bringing all the harvest in except the sunflowers because they're not quite ready. Over to Noel. Thank you for listening to the Wiggly Podcast. <laughs>